Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as someone who spends all day on Slack making new emojis of Peter Kafka's face, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is someone I've wanted to talk to for a while, April Underwood, the Chief Product Officer at Slack. She's been at Slack for three years now, but before that spent nearly five years as the Director of Product at Twitter. Lots to talk about there. We're taping this episode in late August, but releasing it just before the Slack Frontiers Conference in San Francisco. April, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks so much for having me. So there's so much to talk about. So what I want to do, you guys just raised a whole bunch of money. There's been all kinds of... Slack has done a lot of stuff in the past couple of years. So let's just get your backgrounds. I'd love to understand how you got to where you got. Um, obviously, it goes without saying you're one of the few really high-ranking female leaders in tech. There, there's not as many as there should be. Um, and, and you've worked at a lot of these places that are obviously creating a lot of news. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But first, give people a background of how you got to where you got, because I think it's very important to understand people's origins. How we got here. Yeah, I mean... It, you wouldn't have necessarily been able to predict that mm-hmm. I that I'd end up here. Um, mm-hmm. I would say um, I uh, I'm from Texas. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, which is in the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. If you've ever driven down I-40 and seen the big signs for the restaurant that offers a 72 ounce steak for free if you eat it in an hour, uh, no, that's where I'm from. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, for our listeners who have driven across the country on I-40, there you go. Um, so I grew up in Amarillo. Um, I um, you know I was lucky to go to Montessori school, and mm-hmm. you know my parents were very focused on education. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, growing up in that place, um, you know, the helium plant was one of the biggest employers there, there was not, you know, there was not not a lot of technology. And um, so I really didn't grow up knowing um, that this technology uh, Mm -hmm. industry existed. Um, But I did have a real interest in computers. Um, I don't think I realized it. I think to some degree, I just was a little bored. But Mm -hmm. um, but we got a computer when I was a kid and I would I'd play games, but I'd also do kind of weird things like um, I had a baseball card collection. And so I typed all the metadata from my baseball cards into a Mm -hmm. spreadsheet so Mm -hmm. that I could sort it so that I could (laughs) easily find out whether or not right. I had, you know, whatever that um, Texas Rangers baseball card was mm-hmm. or, or so have you. So, so you know, um, in a different environment, maybe now, it would have been pretty clear that actually I was really like unnaturally interested in technology and computers, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't pick up on it. I don't think anybody really did. And mm-hmm. so, um, so, you know, I, I went off to college um, at University of Texas in Austin and I chose chemical engineering. UT. Yeah, oh, that's go. right. Hook 'em horns. Yes. Um, so I, I should have worn my T-shirt today. I have one. I, I bet that would have been an honor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I um, so I went to to UT, um, and because I'd done well in chemistry in high school, I thought, well, then I should be a chemical engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time we were going to visit a company, 
um, to learn a little bit about the roles, I, we had to get a hard hat and steel-toed boots. And that was right. the first sign I had that I actually knew nothing about chemical, chemical engineering and learned that it was a lot of oil and gas. And, yes, and it's big in Texas. It wasn't that interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went to University of Texas at Austin in part uh, because I had a, a good number of scholarships there. And mm-hmm. financially, that was really um, important for me to be able to, to, mm-hmm. to do college. And um, I gave them all up because I realized that it wasn't the right thing for me. And mm-hmm. so I got got to work doing what I've pretty much always done my whole life, which is I went and got a job. Mm-hmm. And I went and went in, in the Texas paper and the, you know, the campus paper, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a job that paid $10 an hour, which sounded pretty better than the waitressing and barista jobs it had before. And I, uh, and it was doing tech support for internet service providers. Mm-hmm. So this people- This is while you were at college. This is while I was in college, my second semester freshman year. And so I, I started working on the side and, you know, I was helping people reinstall their modem drivers Mm -hmm. so that they could get on the internet. The trick was they had to, I had to teach them how to do Mm -hmm. this complicated technical thing. And then they would have to hang up the phone and it's sort of like good luck, you know, because they mostly had one phone line. So, you know, I think that was the first point at which I started to think more about software. I Mm -hmm. taught myself to code so I could get off the phone and start Mm -hmm. creating the training modules for the other employees. And I started just realizing the extent to which, you know, these products um, were really powerful, but also were really, really hard to use for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. They Mm -hmm. did it anyway because they were so useful. People wanted to be online, Um, but the experience was, you know, needed a lot of work. So, so that was the point at which I decided to go into software and became an engineer. Um, I worked at um, um, Intel. I worked at Travelocity. I transitioned into product moved management. moved to California. Yeah. Well, it's it, so I graduated in December of 2001. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, on the morning of 9-11, for example, we actually had a speaker in one of my classes from Southwest Airlines mm-hmm. and just none of us even knew what to say. We were, we, mm-hmm. we had no idea what had just happened. And so the, the economy, you know, it was really, really falling out. Yeah, it and, was. you know, I had the opportunity to interview with Intel and mm-hmm. I'd always, always wanted to live in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't take a lot of vacations when I was a kid, but we'd come to the Bay Area once and I just was obsessed with mm-hmm. it. And so I wanted to come out here and I had an interview with Intel in Santa Clara and it was the same day as my graduation. So I decided not to do the interview and I said, well, oh, just wow. send me to the next closest place. And I assumed Oregon was just yeah. the next exit yeah. off of the freeway from yeah. San Francisco. And right. so I ended up in Oregon oh, um, wow. working for Intel, um, assuming I would spend a lot of time here. And then once I actually looked at a right. map, discovered that that was no. um, a little impractical. So I so I worked there for a while. Um, I transitioned to Travelocity back in Texas to mm-hmm. spend more time with my family. And I um, was an engineer and became a product manager ultimately because I started asking a lot of questions. I was mm-hmm. being asked to code things, specifically right. Travelocity Power, the, pa- the the travel tab for mm-hmm. Yahoo Travel at that point. Mm-hmm. And I started asking business questions right. about why, why we would pay so much rev share to Yahoo for right. these bookings and so forth. And in doing so, you know, kind of found my path towards product management. Mm-hmm. So um, so that kind of brought People me to how I don't quite understand what product management is, I think, what it really does, because it's a combination of technical and uh, business, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's also a role that has changed a lot. I, mm-hmm. I think it roughly changes every five years. Mm-hmm. So um, product management, product managers are ultimately um, responsible for 
picking the right things to build and mm-hmm. then bringing definition to them. And and in and, and doing that, what I mean by that is understanding the customers, understanding the market, and then and then taking, you know, a, a principled but also like rational point of view as to, well, we should do this first. And then once we do this, then, you know, we can do this and it's going to unlock these these business opportunities. And so you really do have to be able to have the technical aptitude to have right. some sense for what's feasible. You need to have the business orientation as to like mm-hmm. what matters, mm-hmm. but then you also need to understand right. users. And so you know, when I got into product management in the early 2000s, um, there were a lot of women in it. Um, it was more of a business function. It was mm-hmm. considered more of a marketing or a GM kind of function. And, um, you know, we can get into it, but it's mm-hmm. been really interesting to see how I think Google yes. had a phenomenal impact that actually right. brought it much more technical. Mm-hmm. And then I think with um, the rise of mobile, design became more important. Absolutely. So it's a really interesting role in that you're, you're yeah. sort of always having to evolve yourself. Evolve yourself, absolutely. So you worked at Travelocity and then yeah. how did you get to Twitter? Well, so I worked at Travelocity for um, for a few years. And at that point, actually, I, I made the transition into product management. But before I did, I was told I needed an MBA mm-hmm. to be a product manager. Okay. So I thought, okay, well, that sounds straightforward. So I applied to business school. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got into product anyway, but I also got into business school. So mm-hmm. I went to um, business school at Haas, mm-hmm. and um, which is UC Berkeley's business school. And I was a little disenchanted with tech at that point. Yeah. You know, this was 2005. Why? It's early. You weren't in it for very long. Yeah, you know, but... Was sometimes the sometimes people it, around so the age twenty five, you know, yeah. have, have quarter lives about call it. <laughs> questions yeah, about what they want life. to do. Um, and but what was interesting is that as I when I went to business school, then YouTube came out and got acquired by Google. The iPhone came out literally while I was in school. So mm-hmm. I was in school from 2005 to 2007 when basically Everything. the whole new era Facebook. emerged. And so then I would like fell in love Facebook. with it again. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it came right. out my second my second right, year of business school. Um, which I only knew about because my mm-hmm. sister was in, high, in junior high or high school or whatever. Right. And so was I was using it. So I went to Google after business school. I interviewed with them. Um, I was in a role where I was focused on um, all of the work that we needed to do to ingest the content that couldn't be in crawled on the uh, crawl mm-hmm. on the web. So mm-hmm. content um, was, you know, was a really critical thing because of Google's mission to organize the world's mm-hmm. um, information. And so, you know, the the data that powered local search on maps, the data that powered, you know, books search, et cetera, for all of these different properties. So, um, so I had this really interesting, but like very, in some ways, very narrowly scoped role. And what was what I realized only afterwards is that. I got to work with like all of the initial teams mm-hmm. that built all of those Google properties right, and so right. many amazing people that are, you know, that, that I'm lucky to to know and be friends with and get to work with today mm-hmm. were there during that era. So I, right. I showed up to the Google party a little late. Uh-huh. Um, I, I liken it late. to showing up to, well, I showed up in 2007 and it yeah, felt late. Awful. It felt like showing up at a party like after like the crush of people has yeah, left yeah, and yeah. like maybe they're like running yeah. low on certain yeah. supplies. Yeah. Um, the rosé is, you know, um, you know, is you out. You missed the billionaire period. I did. I did. I did. Um, period, yeah. But I also left Google a few years later mm-hmm. thinking that Google had sort of done what it was going to do. I looked yeah. at all of the yeah, things they were had, working on. Yeah. I was like, this is done. And I was obviously completely wrong. Right. But, um, but for me, that opened up the opportunity that then um, I, I made the leap to a small startup. And then I was there for a few months. And then uh, I had the opportunity to join Twitter. And I made the leap and joined So what, did, at what compelled you by Twitter, to Twitter? I love the product. Yeah. You know, Twitter for me, um, I started using it in 2007, but really in 2008. And um, I was living in Noe Valley at the time. And I started getting connected with people who lived in my neighborhood because of Twitter. Twitter was small then. Right. But this idea that 
and this is still when mobile and mobile apps were new, but this idea that this website or this mobile app could actually help me connect with the people that actually were in like local proximity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to me in a place that I'm not from and where mm-hmm. I, you know, didn't know my neighbors and that sort of stuff. Like that, that was just absolutely amazing to me. Um, and so I, I you know, I, I really loved, I loved the medium. I loved the the fact that people were smart and witty and, and interesting on there. Um, I love the pace at which it moved. And so I, so I just love the product. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when I, when I got the call from a friend who joined, um, I and I and I had gotten to know Dick Costello um, mm-hmm. when he was at Google during his, right, his post feed burner yeah. stage, mm-hmm. and um, you know he was over there. And then I got the call from a friend, and I belabored the decision a little bit because I was working for a great startup. But mm-hmm. I but I I followed my heart, you know, right. ultimately because it, I didn't go there because I thought, oh, this is going to be this company that's going to go public and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. I truly went there because I love the product. A lot of hopes at the beginning. I remember. Yeah, it was remember? a different time. Yeah. Because they were Odeo. I remember when they were Odeo and yeah. before that, which was really interesting. Uh, and then they kept switching CEO. Then you just could see the problems. I have to tell you, we'll go into that later. But so you, because I want to talk about tech responsibility and things like that. Uh, you guys are less pulled into the debates going on right now, but still have to be thinking about them. Um, and so then you, so you were there and through the period of its mega growth, really, right? Yeah. 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 And I you worked on what? Yeah. So I joined when we were about 150 people. And by the time I left, we were 4,000 mm-hmm. um, over the roughly five years. So I joined to be a PM on platform, mm-hmm. worked on things like the tweet button, the follow button, all of these tools yeah. to make it easier, ultimately to for tweet. publishers to right. be able to right. get their content shared easily mm-hmm. by users into the network. And so um, so worked on that for a while. Um, but I also wore a lot of different hats there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you're at a company through that kind of growth stage, right. sometimes the fact that you've been there a while becomes such a unique yeah. like right. asset. Absolutely. And like, you know, um, that right. institutional knowledge is so important that you actually get the opportunity to try out different roles. So mm-hmm. I started doing product, but we had relationships with Google and Microsoft and Yahoo, the um, the search deals, right. and we didn't have anybody really and responsible for them. Travels, yeah, yeah, I knew, yeah, I knew, and, and I also had, you know, had been at Google, so I ended mm-hmm. up building out a good portion of the business development team, yeah. and then getting back to my, sort of my, my major, which was mm-hmm. product, um, on the ads and data side over mm-hmm. my last three years there, and built the ads API and program around it and so mm-hmm. forth. So, um, so I, you know, through my course there, I led product teams, I led business development, teams. I also led product marketing for ads for a while too, just out of the need. Yeah, so and, the reason I yeah. want you to talk about this is I want yeah. people to understand that switching is really like shifting and shifting. And especially when you're a woman, like you can do that to try Absolutely. to grab for what you want kind of things. Yeah. You know, you know I am actually somebody, um, who is pretty, uh, I, I hold on pretty loosely to the idea of like which function I do. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that served me well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there have been times in my career where I've been, where people didn't believe I was a product manager. Mm-hmm. So when I was at Google, I wasn't a product manager because I don't have a computer science degree. And I was there during an era where there was a pretty narrow view right, as to what it meant to be, mm-hmm. like what was required. And the most important thing was to gain credibility with engineers. Right. And so you had to have that like stamp right. of approval. I'd been literally an engineer, but because I hadn't, it was a real blocker for me. Um, and you know, what I've found is that, um, rather than exiting the industry, instead finding those adjacent opportunities and also frankly, getting to build teams from scratch or getting to learn new skill sets Mm -hmm. like I did during my five years at Twitter, it, it's so important to me and what I do now, because Mm -hmm. as CPO, I'm not just responsible for, Mm -hmm. you know, the actual organizations that roll mm-hmm. up to me, I need to have a really broad purview. That's right. And the fact that I've done a bit of marketing, the fact that I've done deals, mm-hmm. um, it, it makes me a better partner. Yeah, to it makes you the smarter other with the people when they come to you. 
You know, I remember dealing with someone and he was, I think it was Terry Semmel when he was running Yahoo and he was like, you know, the Yahoo search team tells me we're be better than Google. I'm like, you're not, like, of course they tell you that because they couldn't get hired at Google. And it was a really interesting because I was like, you don't know, like, you don't, you know, what you don't know what you don't know, which I think is a problem with a lot of executives, I have to say, you know, they don't understand right. everything. So if you know sort of how the sausage was made, you sort of do understand when people are taking shortcuts or they're not telling you the right thing or right. they don't, you know what to look for, I think is critical. So how did you get to, to you were at Twitter yep. during crazy period mm -hmm. and Slack, what happens? Yeah. So I had met Stuart when he did the photo thing at Yahoo. Sure. He's and then been he around. did that disastrous game thing that turned into Slack. And, you know, that's the story of this, of what of happened here. Um, and so I'd gone up to Canada, to Vancouver to visit him when he was doing the game thing. Um, how, what, what attracted you to Slack? So what attracted me to Slack actually kind of started back in 2007 when I joined Google. So, mm -hmm. um, so I joined Google out of business school mm -hmm. and, um, at that point, one of the big hiring pitches was transparency. So, you know, this idea that, you know, every Friday afternoon you're going to come to TGIF mm -hmm. and you're going to hear directly from Larry and Sergey, um, which which was amazing. Uh, and, and then also this idea that you can sort of know anything that's going on within the company. And mm -hmm. it was already a sizable company. And so, you know, you, you would join and you would start, you know, hearing about different projects and you could just join the mailing lists for, for any of, for, for almost anything that was going on within the company. Um, and, um, and, and this whole idea of transparency then, you know, during those years, a lot of companies in the world were like, Hey, what's Silicon Valley doing? Like, how can we be more like them? How can we shift to more transparency? It seems like it's driving a lot of innovation ideas are coming from anywhere within the organization. But, um, um, ultimately, the tools were not the right ones for them. So, you know, in, in my years between, you know, two and a half years at Google and then five years at Twitter, it was this culture of transparency, but the tools were just completely wrong for it. Because in an email world, you don't decide, you know, ultimately, you don't really decide what comes into your view. Other mm -hmm. people decide that for you. Um, when um, um, every single time you want to share something with somebody, you have to decide who the right people are to receive it. You have to, you know, give it a subject. You have to, like, it's all this pomp and circumstance to be able to communicate anything. And so it's, it's very it's very high friction. And, and so and near the end of Twitter, I was actually thinking about these ideas of like, why did Twitter work? And Twitter worked because you could tune into the things you cared about and there was mm -hmm. no cost to right. unsubscribe. Right. And But we didn't have that for person-to-person -person communication right. and work tools. And so, right. you know, as I was leaving, I was thinking about these concepts a bit um, from my own experience of having just been in an email culture that's just crushing. crushing. Where like you wake up every morning and mm -hmm. you have so many emails that you don't get out of bed yeah. until like 30 minutes after you wake mm -hmm. up because right. you're just trying to figure out, is there anything in here that's important, which right. is also a problem right. that, you know, right. of course, Slack helps solve with notifications and the ability for you to configure right. your, your view of, of Slack to focus in on the things that are most important. So, you know, so I was thinking about these problems. I left Twitter. I took the first break in my entire life since mm -hmm. I was, you know, 15 and a half or mm -hmm. whatever the legal age was to start being a hostess at the Black Eyed Pea in Texas. And, um, and during that time, That's some good eating. Yeah. It's, oof, yeah. Talk about quality control. I mean, I think a lot about quality control now with Slack. We care a lot about what we launch, but my first quality control job was making sure that the chicken fried steak would extend over three sides of the plate um, <laughs> because otherwise it was not- Can't have that. 
it was a Texas-sized chicken fried yeah. steak, yeah. and that's the it's only criteria. Oh, man. Yeah, so attention to detail. Yeah. Um, important. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, I, t- I took some time off. Mm-hmm. I launched Hashtag Angels with five of my colleagues mm-hmm. um, from Twitter, um, which is an angel investing group that maybe we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, and um, and I just, I forced myself to take some time off. And during that time, I met Stuart. And mm-hmm. long story short, he was looking for a head of platform. I've worked on platforms pretty much my entire career. Mm-hmm. Um, we hit it off. I was what he needed. The role was really enticing and exciting mm-hmm. and the company was an interesting phase and they were working on a problem I actually cared about. Right. So it made it really straightforward. Right. And then you just went, you thought this is the way it goes. And it was really fascinating that to me that no one had ever thought of this works. It was a version of, there were versions of it. There, I forget all the names of the thing. I saw so many versions of Slack um, and I'm blanking on it, all their names, but I remember me, I remember one guy had a t- good tan and I forget the guy who ran that company. Oh, man. I missed the tan. Oh, Microsoft guy, bought but, it, I think. Yeah. I, whatever. Yeah. They there was a lot of that idea of taking and Facebook had even thought about doing Facebook for work. Mm-hmm. And AOL a hundred years ago, you, you aren't gonna remember this. You're much younger than I am, but AOL did AOL at work. Mm-hmm. And the day they launched it was the day they had their famous nineteen hour outage. And oh, so the well. guy, Mark Walsh, who ran it, was like had sold it to all these businesses as the communications tool yes. for, for a company, you know, the not email based communications tool, and it was over in seconds. But it still was a great idea. It is. And I, I suspect you'll probably mention the fact that we've recently had an outage. So I'll yes, preempt I you will. there because I, I listened to your your, mm-hmm. your um, discussion with Aaron Levy from Box. And I know that that was right after that had happened. So first of all, apologies. I would have brought you <laughs> socks if I did, didn't believe you probably already had four I pair. Do. But I, you know, um, you know, I don't want to make light of that at all. Right. I mean, um, it's bad enough when major, when like really important consumer communication tools go mm-hmm. down. Um, you know, we don't like it when our consumer, you know, uh, you know, social networks and so forth go down because we do, they are our lifeline in mm-hmm. some way to connect to the people we care about and the things we do. But, you know, when we're talking about work, um, it's just, it's absolutely critical. And mm-hmm. the bar for us is incredibly high. I think it's important to, to realize absolutely not as an excuse, but just so you know where our mindset is um, that, you know, Frankly, if Office 365 or even Google Apps goes down, it's it's super frustrating. You're in the mm-hmm. middle of doing something, you can't do it. Um, but when Slack goes down, you can't even communicate with other people to About know whether or not Slack went down. down. Right. And so we are that bottom stack for like the... Like, yes, like there's exactly nothing you can get done at work without communicating. Right. And, you know, um, one thing I remind my team sometimes is, you know, we're not personally saving lives, but there are literally people doing work on our platform right. who are who are aiming to and trying to report the news and trying to do right. all these things that are that are very real time in nature. So, you know, um, so with that in mind, you know, I think that, um, you know, we need to be like the phone company. We need mm-hmm. to be I mean, we need to be, at, you know, t- utility grade or carrier yeah. grade to some degree. And so we're invested very deeply there. Um, you know, in fact, you you know, this year we have um, we've foregone shipping some things we're really excited about because we are shifting the majority of right, which it, I think as many people as we I think can. you're in a real dicey yeah. situation there. Yeah. We're going to talk about that when we get back with April Underwood. Sure. She's the chief product officer at Slack. But first, a word from our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This week on The Pitch, we're back to pitches. And this one's coming from my job. What Podcast AI does is it lets podcast producers become 10 times more productive. How much are you charging the pitch? <laughs> We're charging $99, and Josh came in right before we doubled our prices. Mm-hmm. What's keeping something like a restream from just going like, yep, we do all this AI now stuff too? So there's a lot of these older companies that are tacking on AI, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the issue. They're tacking it on. You built this really quickly. What's to stop anybody else from doing this? What's, what's the moat? How do you build a moat when you're building with AI? That's this week on The Pitch. Go right now and subscribe to The Pitch wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back uh, with April Underwood. She's the chief product officer at Slack. We're talking just recently about an outage they had recently, but it underscores the idea of being this utility grade and being a, a, a something. You guys just raised how much money? We just raised four hundred and twenty-seven right million give or take, dollars, but yeah. um, at a seven point one billion dollar valuation. So it's been creeping upwards, and obviously, I had, I had interviewed lots of like Peggy Johnson before Microsoft. Others had tried to buy you for years, but you guys are gonna you're been going it alone, like doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and you're also in the sweet spot of so many companies who have tried to do this workplace productivity stuff. Microsoft has bought a number of companies to compete with you. Google's in there. Um, they, uh, Microsoft bought LinkedIn. There's all kinds of things they're trying to do to get into this area. Um, so you have huge competitors. And one of the things that is incredibly important besides being working all the time and not going down is also security and some other mm-hmm. issues. So talk a little bit about what that, what the reasons why you guys keep moving forward as an independent company when, you, when you're when you thinking about that. Because, you know, there's been all people have tried to buy you. I've written about it quite a lot of times. But you guys have stuck with this idea that you can do this independently. Yeah, well, I mean, if we thought we were 80% done with mm-hmm. what we planned to do, then, you know, then th- then you think about things differently. But we're just, in so many ways, just getting started. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got 8 million daily active users right now. They're across 500,000 organizations, 3 million daily paid users. Um, you know, we've got, you know, we've got like Capital One. And then mm-hmm. we've also got like the Jackson Hole wire, Wildlife Refuge. Like we mm-hmm. have this really amazing breadth of customers. Mm-hmm. Last year last January when we launched Enterprise Grid was the first time we even had a product in market that could Mm -hmm. really address the needs of a company over a couple thousand employees. Mm -hmm. Um, And since that time, we brought tons of customers to that product. And again, like, I mean, we're what, 18 months into that. Mm-hmm. Um, international, the product was only in English until a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've just started to bring it, um, you know, in a meaningful way to other markets. So, um, so, but a lot of that is about sort of audience, like how many different, like how many teams in the world can actually use Slack. Mm-hmm. And we're still- How many different kinds of teams. Exactly. And so right. we're, we're still in this like hugely expansive phase mm-hmm. of building the capabilities that we need so that more types of teams at work can use Slack. But the other thing that's happening in parallel is, you know, is is we talk about the fact that we're a platform, and you know, I, a lot of companies talk about yes, being they a do. platform. Um, but 
what do you want to have in order to be a platform is you need like this really stable foundation. You need mm-hmm. to provide some service that is so broadly useful mm-hmm. that um, that it's actually, um, it makes sense for users, for customers to be able mm-hmm. to make use of more capabilities on top of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I described earlier, you know, communication is like the last thing before and like the operating system on your device itself. Right. I mean, it is just so foundational mm-hmm. um, to everything that people do. Which is at the heart of Slack. It is. is the heart. It Whenever is. I try to explain, it's like you're talking to, I just was talking to someone who's a very well-known reporter and he's like, should I use this Slack thing? And I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, what do you, yes, you have a, like for my team. And I'm like, yeah, like we use, we run our company on Thank it. Thank you, you is, should write some No, 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 yeah. but I decide, you do run your company on it. You do, it's an interesting thing and it's the best you, so far that I've seen. I, of course, would switch in a second if I had to. We were on something else before you, what were we on? Who was your other competitor? Um, well, so HipChat has been popular we and we've HipChat. recently done a What's deal the with one? them. Yeah. There was another one. We uh, moved on to Slack from whatever it was. It was good. It was good, but you were better. Okay. Um, but, but I, but I'm saying you've got to like figure out foundationally what you're providing people, which is communication and 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 organization. Well, absolutely. And so, so communication Slack is organized around channels Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you're, you're totally right that other people have sort of sort of like poked at this concept mm-hmm. before, but you know, in Slack, you know, channels really sit at the center. And so channels have all of these great properties mm-hmm. um, to them, which are that, um, you know, you can join and leave them at will. Um, you can set notifications on them so that if you need a push notification, mm-hmm. every time somebody posts in a channel be- that is related to what's about to go to press, that you right. can get a push notification sure. on any of your devices. Um, they um, are searchable so that, you know, the next person who joins a team can actually benefit from the conversation discussions that have happened in the past. Um, and, you know, in, in, it is a fundamentally different way to work. I mean, it's, 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 it's moving, you know, I mean, it, it's fundamentally different than, than inboxes were, but, you know, Slack's platform and which is what I joined to work on. And, um, now my responsibilities are much broader, but we have an amazing team working on that. Um, Slack's platform is just absolutely core to what we're doing, which is that, you know, we launched we launched something uh, a few months ago that made it so that um, an app on our platform, like um, Zendesk, for mm-hmm. example, could add an action to the gear menu mm-hmm. inside Slack. And it, it seems relatively straightforward. But if you think about that, um, imagine a scenario where a customer support team is talking to a customer and they've at some point and they're doing their work in Zendesk. Mm-hmm. And th- that is where they live. They also mm-hmm. communicate in Slack. But when they're getting work done, they're in communicating mm-hmm. with customers. They live in Zendesk. But they need to actually share that ticket with the engineering team within an organization mm-hmm. because they believe that uh, it's likely a bug. Well, engineers don't live in Zendesk. They right. live in Jira. Right. And so the ability for us to have this platform that allows information to flow and bite-sized workflows like this mm-hmm. to actually be executed by teams across applications, like mm-hmm. there's just, there, there, it's, it's a huge gap Absolutely. Um, in a world in which- Because you're switching from one to the other and they're not even communicating with each other. Right, exactly. So Slack becomes- that that becomes that that bus or that mm-hmm. that common denominator, and so you know the ticket can be shared into the channel from Zendesk uh, from from an employee directly in Zendesk. Somebody can see, yep, that looks like a bug. They can use this new mm-hmm. feature to be able to create a ticket in Jira, and we actually are able to facilitate that workflow. And each of those companies did one integration. They built on top of the Slack platform. They don't have to build with the n squared or whatever number of you know customer service and mm-hmm. engineering bug tracking tools. Mm-hmm. They're able to build into this platform. And so you know what we're doing with the platform is actually making it possible for customers to get more value out of every single dollar they're spending on software, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And we're creating a place where 
not only can they get that work done, but we're building the search capabilities on top of it that mm-hmm. it can be, you know, it can be utilized and harnessed well, in a way that you never could before. You had talked about this several years ago, this developers part of it. And, you know, Twitter, that was a big thing until it wasn't, right? Where they started to create their own things. They sort of killed all the developers um, that were working on the platform. How do you guys look at developers? Because it's often a push me, pull you. If Facebook, they had the mm-hmm. same issue. They killed most of them or many of them. They use them to grow, but then... yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine it's not integral to you all, though. You can't do that. Well, absolutely, but it's this—it's structurally just so completely different. Yeah, um, we got a number of folks um, that work at at Slack on platform that have worked on other platforms, mm-hmm. and you know, in consumer platforms and in consumer products in general, you already have a challenge, which is a, a product and a strategy challenge, which is that you want to offer the best experience around the organic content. Mm-hmm. And then you also need to get ads in front of people. And that's already a challenge, even if there was Mm -hmm. no third party um, Mm -hmm. uh, involved. Um, We don't have that dynamic with Slack. We sell our software to teams to use at work. So our job is to build the best software for them and to offer the best service that we possibly can for them. And we share that goal with the developers in our ecosystem. Their Mm -hmm. job is to make, um, you know, make it, make it easier to run a restaurant make it easier to, um, you know, get their software. Exactly. And, and so, you know, we have roughly the same business model as the majority of the developers on our platform and that, you know, a lot of SaaS, um, uh, SaaS applications. Um, we have a shared interest, which is helping our customers and be more productive and like really address the needs of how work has changed. And in doing that, um, our interests are completely aligned. And so it's not just, you know, these aren't just words. I I just have to say that having worked on a number of consumer platforms, Mm -hmm. there are all these hard problems. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, how do we balance this? And Mm -hmm. we basically have none of those. It's like, and it's really refreshing. It must be. It must be exhausting. God bless enterprise software. Um, So when you think about the issues, the most pressing issues you have on the platform, I would assume security would be your biggest. Now, it's interesting that the consumer platforms are the ones being dinged for it this year about the Russians. Actually, the Russians just used the platforms exactly as they were built, from what I can tell. It wasn't hacking or anything like that. But in your case, you're protecting a lot of corporate information. Yeah. There's a lot of... so. Is that your biggest concern or is, or is, I assume, either that or continually being innovative to keep up with competitors, larger and more uh, deep-pocketed competitors? How do you think about the issues around the platform. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say the, the the thing I think about the most is a little bit different. So I'll, I'll come back to that. But I think that, um, you know, so security is absolutely, um, I mean, it's it's table stakes for, mm-hmm. for what we're doing. And so um, both the way in which we work, as well as the expectations we have for developers that build apps that go into our app directory are, are very high. So we take an approach, which is that we review those applications. Um, we do a variety of testing around them. We make sure that our customers understand, um, you know, what information is or isn't being shared with them. Mm-hmm. So so that's the approach that we take, which is quite hands-on and is also just, you know, it's a, exactly what you would expect for right. given the job that we're doing. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of innovation, you know, I don't really worry about that that much. Like we have we have, we have so, so so much further that we want to go with the product. And um, there's so many opportunities for us to help teams be able to to work together more effectively. I mean, in a world in which there's software that makes so many of the tasks that used to take up a lot of people's time so much faster, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, from expense reporting software to design tools mm-hmm. to, you know, ops, operations tools for supply chain, you know, like there, there's, there's software for everything now. And what that means is that people have a lot more, like really spend much more of their time 
coordinating and collaborating and communicating with other people. Like that, that's where that, like that's both the bottleneck, but it's also just literally where people, where the work mm-hmm. is. And so we need to keep helping people get the full value out of what, what they can do with Slack. And I'd say that actually points more to, it's less about, do we have ideas? Like, do we have innovative ideas for how we can do that? We've got loads of them. The The trick is is that our our audience has expanded really quickly and we are, you know, so far beyond the companies that look like us now. We've got, mm-hmm. you know, Target and like I mentioned Capital One and we've got, you know, we, we've got these these large organizations um, that, are, that are quite different than tech companies in right. Silicon Valley. And, um, you know, within those companies, there are tons of employees that are, that, um, that, that need to understand more about how to, how to make use of a product like Slack. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not even so much about Slack. It's about like, how do I transition to this new way of working? It's cultural. It's about transparency. It's tactical about just like, literally, how do I, like, how do I make use of this tool? Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of what we're focused on is just, um, we've been really, really lucky that Slack has been this movement where, um, people fight to bring it in their organizations. They start using it within their organizations. Mm-hmm. And then over time, um, you know, the, you know, the IT teams can see the value because it's so obvious to them. And so then it becomes, you know, a, an official supported tool. Uh, I want to enable more people to be able to make that case. Right. Um, not every single person is a, is, is prepared to make the case for why the companies should work differently and, right. and use this new tool. And I think there's more we could do to help them. So what's the biggest obstacle you face from your perspective in that, in, in getting them to do this, just using it or getting them on the platform? Because you, you are dealing with very small groups and very large groups, but I would assume the focus, just like at Box or anywhere else, are on the big customers. Um, actually, that's, I wouldn't, I think it's a little bit different than Box. I mean, I can't speak to, to where Box's focus is, but, um, but uh, you know, we have a really wide breadth of customers, and in, in, in fact, and where's the most? Where I don't even know what, what that is. I mean, the most customers are smaller, smaller. Um, just by the I mean, yeah, the, small and medium size. But sixty five percent of the Fortune one hundred are paid customers of Slack. Mm-hmm. Or there could be small uses within large corporations, right? Absolutely, because absolutely. certain groups within a, groups within groups. It often starts there, yeah, but it then does. it starts spreading. And mm-hmm. you know, we launched shared channels last year. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what shared channels yes. are? So shared, shared channels are a way for you to be able to have a channel that is shared with another company. And and mm-hmm. that's increasingly important in a world in which sure. companies don't work as islands. They work mm-hmm. with vendors and partners and, right. you know, they may do joint work with customers even at times. And so Slack can can facilitate that work mm-hmm. and bring the same benefits to your internal communication that you get there. So the biggest challenge there is, um, you know, I, I think a little bit around just we've, this has all happened really fast for us. I mean, mm-hmm. as a company, um, the product's been in market for right. about four years, Um you know, you have to build the product, but mm-hmm. you also have to build the business. We've been fortunate, like the the sell, you know, the freemium model that we that we right. approach has been help has been working, and now we've added to it, you know, our sales driven model for the larger companies. But and and then you also need to build a company, you need to mm-hmm. build a healthy company, and you need to build the leadership, and you need to establish how we do things. And doing all three, you have to do all three things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dependent on each other. So I would say, you know, the the opportunities for how we help more companies understand um, how to get the most out of Slack. They're very, very clear. We just need to go do them. And, and what, what, and have what are those innovations place? do you think are critical that people want? Everyone bothered you for a while for response, all kinds of things. I think I tweeted a bunch mm-hmm. of, I'd like this, please. Or I, I mean, I do it to all the companies. Like I'm still waiting for the edit function on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, it would be really nice. Yeah. I mean, one, one area that I'm thinking a lot about right now is just how do we make it possible for people to express themselves inside Slack in a way that, you know, that reflects the effort and, and hard work that they mm-hmm. put into whatever it is that they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, and 
in email culture, there's this world where you actually like start the email in like mm-hmm. a, a, a doc or something mm-hmm. and you spend all this time editing it mm-hmm. and you get other people to review it before you like hit send. And mm-hmm. it's this like, gosh, you do that. I don't, but go ahead. People do that. Okay. People do that in larger companies. I think things and push yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and, I, I but, and I think there's that, there's that culture, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're doing this really important work that the way you communicate Absolutely. it needs to reflect. Well, Slack has actually taken that away. People are a little too loose on Slack. They think of it as Facebook. They think of it as, it's really interesting. Well, and there can be some real benefits. Yeah, there's cultural benefits to that. And like, there's actually efficiency to that as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things, you know, you you asked, you know, sort of what what are people asking for? One of the things people want is they want the tools to be able to to very easily express themselves Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, that reflects their, you know, their intelligence and the amount of effort that they put into whatever it is that they're doing. And so, you know, so we added, for example, you can, you know, you can do control B or control, you can actually start to, you know, add a little bit more of that formatting without Mm -hmm. understanding markup. That's a good example where here Mm -hmm. in, you know, here in our world, you know, uh, it, it can make a lot of sense to mm-hmm. to um, edit to to format your message using markup. But as we get to you know eight million daily active and users, don't 10, yeah. 12, 20, mm-hmm. you know, we we don't want to necessarily have to teach the entire world markup. We'd instead mm-hmm. like to give them tools that are super intuitive. Mm-hmm. And what about when those veer into people who are on your platform, the developers too, because some of it you're going to have to own yourselves. What are the critical things you need to own yourself? I mean, the critical thing that we need to own is uh, is the core communication layer. And channel level. That's right. The the channels, um, the ability to communicate, the ability to set notifications on top of it. I mean, those are those are many of just the core elements. Mm-hmm. All of our platform developers get to plug into that mm-hmm. and they get to, they, they, they get to play along with mm-hmm. that. So for example, you know, we added a status. So you can say, you know, I'm at the doctor or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can pick an emoji and you can mm-hmm. say say where you are. We expose that via the API because if you are a um, uh, an enterprise tool that helps people impl- uh, manage their vacation, mm-hmm. then, you know, there's the opportunity to programmatically pre-populate that, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, you know, so generally we don't, we don't have as many hard questions like that. I think you know, we have our own calling features, for example, but we also have all of the major calling providers ha- mm-hmm. have apps on top of the Slack app directory. And we've made it possible for teams to select one of those as the default. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so we are a platform like, you know, through and through. And so when we build those new capabilities beyond like the most foundational things right. that frankly, it would be really hard for somebody mm-hmm. else to do on top of our platform. Um, we expose those uh, so along to third parties as well. And then what, do you, what is the one thing you would like to see on the platform? Or what are the one thing people are asking for from your, from what, how people work on the platform? Yeah, that's a great question because it's it's really we have such a diverse audience that mm-hmm. there's I wouldn't say there's necessarily one thing, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that simple things go a long way. So you know, um, Concur, which is owned by SAP, yeah, um, we, you know, them building, um, you know, along with other tools like Workday, where where. 80, 90, 95% of the employees interact mm-hmm. with that software in a fairly narrow way, and, and as it should be. Um, right. um, there's a small percentage of the company that make use of all uh, of the vast majority of the features, the configuration, the provisioning, mm-hmm. all of these you know, business rules, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But most people interact with it in that they get a notification and they need to take action upon it. And bringing those simple things into Slack have been some of the things that people have been most excited about to date, including things like... Um, I think it was just last week. Um, very recently, we um, have launched the next stage of our integration with Google Drive, mm-hmm. and so you 
if you live in Slack and then you check your email and you realize somebody had a comment to you in a Google doc mm-hmm. four hours earlier, um, that can be, that's not a great experience. Right. And it's a, not a great experience mm-hmm. from a, how you feel about Google apps or how you right. feel about Slack. So, um, so, you know, we've worked with Google and a really great partnership we have. And so now you can receive those comments inside Slack and you can actually reply to them from within inside Slack. So that's an example where, you know, Google doesn't, Google has obviously done the math. They don't see more value if you spend more time looking at the mm-hmm. Google Doc. Like we right. are all trying to solve, we're trying to help companies right. be productive and efficient. So there's not this like eyeballs and time on site right. and that, that sort of problem. stuff yeah. at all. No. Um, and so those those simple things go a long way because mm-hmm. they're useful by a really wide audience of people and they just, they allow you to get through some of those distractions right. that help you focus on deeper work. Right. What's interesting is the whole focus on text on Slack more than anything else. Even though you add the emojis, you add the photos and stuff like that, it really is a text-based system still, you know, it's sort of e- email if you took it to the unth level kind of thing. I don't know how to describe it. You know, do you know what I mean? Because you really do deal in text quite a bit. You do, but... It, and I, also spreadsheets and stuff that things that are attached to it. Sure. But I mean, there are use cases out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the, I, I mentioned earlier, the Jackson Hole Wildlife mm-hmm. Refuge, they, they go out in the field and they take photos, yeah. whatever photos they need to take, and then they post them to mm-hmm. channels. So actually, you know, I mean, there are lots of design organizations as well, where there's a lot of sharing of photos or even video. Um, You know, so, so I, I mean, like anything, it depends on the use case, which is why we need to be, you know, as flexible as possible. All right. We're here talking with April Underwood about Slack, which is a product. How do you guys call it? Productivity tool? It's a collaboration collaboration hub for teams. teams. Oh God, I like that. Um, We're going to talk more about uh, where Slack is going and also where Silicon Valley is going with her when we get back. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It will be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. We're here with April Underwood. She is the chief product officer at Slack. I do want to talk about, you You did the angels thing. You did it with, it was with all the Twitter people. It was a lot of women at Twitter, correct? It's all women. All women. And Explain I, I, what that is. So uh, hashtag angels is a group of six uh, former executives at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Chloe Slayton's uh, in there, yeah. And, and we... Um, we, we worked together at Twitter over the course of those five years. And as um, as some of us were thinking about what we were going to do next, we all had an interest in angel investing. And so we had this thesis that if we um, came together as a group, we would have more to offer the companies mm-hmm. um, that we backed because mm-hmm. we would do that for one another anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think, frankly, angel investing is a little bit like, you know, uh, it, it, it's a little bit of a, uh, of a not well understood sort yeah. of, uh, uh, you know, job, as it were, in practice. And so, you know, we just wanted to make that explicit, which is that if, you know, Katie Stanton or Chloe Sladden called me and said, hey, I'm going to back this company, like, would you be interested in investing with me? Do you, will you check? them out, tell me what you think. I would have done that anyway, but the six of us decided to come together. It was also a little bit of thesis that if you write a medium post and say that you're angel investors, then you're angel investors. Right. And I would say that that thesis proved true, which yeah. was really amazing. So yeah. right after we, you know, announced, we started, 
you know, seeing deal flow, not just from founders, but from sometimes the firm, you know, mm-hmm. firms seed stage and, and, and later looking, you know, to see if we would want to join them on deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and then we also heard from another audience, which was, um, which was a, a lot of women, right. um, mo- mostly operators, but also some of the female investors said. as well, who are like, just glad that we were there and like, how can we get involved? How can we help? Like, um, and, and also, you know, especially amongst operators, like I would like to do this and I have no idea how to do it. I see the men that I've worked with doing it, but I don't know how to get involved. And so we started bringing people together. And so we've created some community around it. We've held a bunch of events. Incidentally, the venture firms have, have been very happy to partner with us and, and, and on many of those events. Um, but, you know, so, so we've done all that. We've backed, yeah, I, I looked in the spreadsheet last night, we've, we've backed, you know, like 70 or 80 companies between the six of us, um, you know, writing our own tax. We, we didn't raise a fund. So we're, we're you know, um, we're making those decisions on our own. Um, and, um, but the other thing that we've started doing is talking a little bit about what we call the gap table and just trying to bring more education to the industry. Um, we're focused on women, but, but generally to, um, to the way that the cap table works and the way that that distributes wealth in the industry and, um, why one might want to do something like angel investing, but also potentially, um, just have a better understanding of, of sort of their, their mm-hmm. day job and, and that role. And, and, and why did you, I, I don't, uh, this is an obvious yeah. question. Why'd you do it with all women? Cause you're obviously making a statement about that issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, again, you're one of the few top executives. It's, I try very hard on this podcast, but ultimately you run out of people. I know, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's, and it's hard, it's harder. How do you think you handle that at work? Does that become something you have to focus on over Stuart or anybody else there? This is Stuart Butterfield, who's the CEO. Yeah. I mean, I mean, why we started Angels with All Women is, is oddly enough that uh, I think the other five women I started with are, are Mm-hmm. really damn smart. Yeah. And really good. There's no Adam Bain in there. Let's do, you know, like he's smart too. Yeah. Um, but there is a, there is a camaraderie and a kinship that comes with being, um, you mm-hmm. know, perhaps the only woman in the room, mm-hmm. um, in your own room, um, and, and knowing those other women who are having yeah. that experience. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, at every company I've worked at, I've, I've come away with, um, you know, a number of, of connections that are quite deep, um, with other women there. And I'm, you know, there's no doubt it's, it's due to shared experience. You know, I feel really fortunate today to get to be a leader at a company that is focused on, um, that, that has focused on diversity and inclusion since early on. I mean, founders and just people in the world often ask me, you know, what should we do about DNI? And of course, you know, the, the truth is I don't consider myself an expert in it, but mm-hmm. because I'm a woman, I, I, I do get asked about yeah. that. And, you know, the, the main thing that, that we hashtag angels would tell our founders is to start early, you know, mm-hmm. start focusing on it early. And I, and I think that, you know, Slack is, you know, it was a factor in joining Slack that Slack is a company that has done that. They'd already done the first report and offered transparency into, mm-hmm. into the employee base um, when I joined. And, you know, we've quadrupled, quadrupled since then and we continue to do how, it. How, how, what kind of grade would you give yourself? Slack? Mm-hmm. You know, we're tough graders on ourselves. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not necessarily pegged to a single number, but what, what I will say is we've always focused on it and there's always more work to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not only do we want to have an, we want, you know, we want to have an employee base that's as representative as we possibly can of, of our customer base, of the populations of places where we have offices, like all of that sort of stuff. But we also, 
we want Slack, we definitely want to avoid Slack being a place where people would decide to exit from the industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's the piece I think a lot of companies are thinking about now, mm-hmm. which is like, even if you manage to do the work to get the right people in place, how can you make sure that they, they can stay. be successful? That's the and absolute problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. besides, I think people get the issue of recruiting people. I think keep getting people to stay is, I think, or, or providing management structure around them to be able to succeed. Sure. And look at my career. I mean, I, I have, I have, you know, made changes over time. And I wouldn't say that that was directly the factor mm-hmm. that there was like some environment along the way that was really bad, but there have been times at which it has felt like the growth opportunities for Weren't me there. sat outside of the company. Right. Um, has and- that changed in Silicon Valley, not just for women, but people of color and from your perspective? It's not, you can't lump everybody into one group, but you, you can. can't. Can and can't. It's a similar outsider experience. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've come to a deeper realization about over the last few years is it is it actually you, you can't really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, being a woman in tech for so long, you um, I felt like an underdog. Mm-hmm. I felt like everybody else was having a conversation mm-hmm. or like knew a way of doing yeah, things, and, et cetera. And, and I didn't. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's funny. I mean, I feel like I, in many ways, assimilated to mm-hmm. the best that I could, you know, right. try to be one of the guys, to, yeah. try to be one of the guys, you know, wh- whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, I mean, it, for reasons that are definitely coming from a dark mm-hmm. timeline in our country and in the world, um, you know, time's up, me too. Like, I do think a lot of this is being brought to light right now, but I can't, I, I'm not convinced that it that the that the impact or the um, ways in which it's improving are evenly distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and 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 so I think that's a big open question for us. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are speaking up and bringing this to attention. And I mm-hmm. think the fact that even I have the awareness that you know it's not quite right for me to think of myself as an underdog anymore. Not only mm-hmm. because I'm the chief product officer right. at Slack, but because actually maybe things have improved for the group that I'm in mm-hmm. much more than they have for other groups. And and I think that you can get into that sort of underdog sure. mindset, and it can be a little bit hard to, to, to flip. Well, it's the also switch. having a responsibility to actually d- be able to do something at a Absolutely. company. And then I think it, it gets heavily put on women at the top to do something versus everybody to do mm-hmm. something, which is interesting. I mean, and being aware of those conversations that people aren't being part of. It's a really interesting question. One of the reasons I became a buzz is I wanted to run the conversation. So yeah. I'll just run it. And yeah. then you can't have other conversations except the ones I decide on, which I think matter. I think it just does matter. So when you think about that, I want to get to the bigger issue right now because Slack's not as dragged into this, but the image of tech has gotten terrible now. Um, it, all the stuff that's going on at Facebook and Google and, and other places is really dragged down the concept. How do you look at how tech is looked at? Because you've worked in all these various different uh, areas. Yeah. I have to take a step back and I can't help but think a little bit of like, could this have been predicted? Mm-hmm. And yes. Sorry, I'm going to answer that for you, but go ahead. Well, that and that's great, and yeah. I and I wish I wish maybe you did, but um, but I, you know I do think that just where we were in the world in 2012. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about all the amazing things that were happening, like we we're getting ACA, and we right. were, I mean my numbers, the exact years maybe off, but mm-hmm. during that period, like mm-hmm. we we're getting ACA, um, you know, um, uh, uh, gay marriage is being legalized. Right. Um, there were like all these like people were getting maternity leave benefits. Right. Like right. there were right. there were yeah. a, yes. a number yes. of amazing things that yep. were happening. Yes, a hundred percent. And even if people had run like tabletop scenarios of like right. here are all the things that could, could possibly go? happen. Yeah, yeah. This would have been like the 
Like where we yeah. are now is the dark timeline. There so like a, we, it would have been a point zero 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 one percent chance that we would have ended up exactly where we are today. No, you're right. They, there was a paragraph in the New York Times today that I never thought I'd read in the New York Times. It was like Mr. Trump, who worked on The Apprentice, and Stormy Daniels, who made this movie, and then and it was like, and they watched Shark Tank before they had sex, and you're like, this is in the New York Times. Like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, how did there. we get here? Yeah. Um, well, I think that's what all of us are asking. That's what we're all, that's what all of us are asking. So <laughs> I, I so I asked that. I mean, as it relates to Slack, you know. Um, like I'm, I'm not trying to sort of dodge it for us right. because I think every you know every right. company in tech but has uh, it should be thinking you? about this, but I, but but it really hasn't because no, hasn't. because we're building tools for teams at work. Yeah, and um, and I'm sure Russians use your service, but they really can't impact elections doing it. <laughs> Who knows? We're we're not building a platform right. that um right. that, en- that enables um, right. that enables that. But right. you know, but the thing I do want to say about that about all of this is you know um you know maybe I still bleed a little bit blue from my five years at Twitter. Right. Um. But you know. When you're really, really close to these things and you're having to make hard decisions um, about what to do in a specific scenario, mm-hmm. and that's what you do every day, um, you have a lot more information than the rest of us. And you know about some hard decision that we made in some different country somewhere else in the world that you right. that, like none of us in America like even care about right mm-hmm. now. And so I think that, you know, I think that that is part of the practice of, of being of having to make some of these hard decisions mm-hmm. is that like you are you are you are very, very close to it. You know, now I'm a little bit. I mean, I'm further away because I've been, you know, gone from Twitter for three years. But I think in general, I think all of these companies, I do think they have very smart people who actually care very deeply about this issue. Um, And I wish that the punchline could be like, and I figured out what they need to do. And it's A, B and C. Um, I mean, that's the one thing that gives me comfort is just Mm -hmm. like. I think we're going to get there. Like, I think, I think we will find the right way to tackle these problems, but I think it's going to take some time and I think it's going to be painful. I do think it's the damage that has been done in the process of their learning experiences. Do you know what I, I mean? And, I and, and it's an irresponsibility that, and I, you don't want to be their scold, but on some levels it's, they took the money, they took the fame, they took everything else and they didn't fix this one thing that is causing all kinds of pain. You know what I mean? And and then when you point it out to them, they're like, don't be mean to me. Or I tried my best. And, you know, I try my best is really not an answer I particularly like. You know, I like I get it, but you're not children and it's not, you don't get an A for effort kind of stuff. And so, I mean, These are tough times. what would what yeah. would you do if you were running Twitter? Uh, you know, I think... Um, I consider myself to be like fairly self-effacing and mm-hmm. um, like I think I'd be completely insane to think that I have some answer that mm-hmm. smart people that have been thinking about it um, mm-hmm. don't have. Mm-hmm. I think we're at a really interesting point as a country and mm-hmm. in, in the world, which is that um, the the tools um, may to some extent be against, um, I, I mean, ahead of where where we are in terms of regulation yeah. and in terms of, you know, the, the psyche. Definitely the psyche. I mean, I I think also, you know, one of the biggest things that um, is is most jarring about all this is to find out that this was always here. Like this hate was always there. Um, And and now it's had the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. But but the thing is, it also those tools also create an opportunity for like this amazing slew of candidates that right. are that are you know yeah. running for election to be able to reach reach people and 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 all I mean by that is that there were a lot of really great things that had come out of these tools mm-hmm. and then we were in this period where it like looked like the world like we were we were through the hard part right. of like human history like right. we were we were really punching through um in a, in, in a number of ways um 
and 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 now we, now we end up here and and it and it actually it turns out like that you know I don't know the quote bad guys are able to use the tools mm-hmm. just as well or better than mm-hmm. than the good better. guys and and that's so I don't have an answer for no, you, yeah. but I no, think it's, how, it's complicated. how depressing. No, it is. It is. It's interesting. I just did an interesting podcast with Jaron Lanier and he was talking about that never before has all of humanity been able to talk to each other and maybe we're not ready for it. Like, and I, I was like, I think you've really got it. Like I really, you know, I mean, I think this, it's, it's an unprecedented experiment on humanity. Oh, absolutely. To be doing this. But let's finish up uh, talking about Slack. Let's get back to Slack. Um, so when you do that, you, uh, you, you also are trying to free corporations. And so I'd love to get your thoughts just briefly in the last few minutes we have of where businesses are going and how work is changing and how, what you guys do to contribute to that. Cause there's definitely in, in this use case scenario, it's pretty much all good. Like it makes a better corporation. People talk more. It, it eases, it, it, you know, it greases the wheels and things like that. And there's not, a, I can't think of a huge amount of downside for Slack, except people use it a lot and spend a lot of time on it. It's a little slightly addictive, um, but not that bad. It's not as bad as other things. Talk about where you think work is going and, and how you think of that, because that's got to be at the heart, the theories around that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, messaging is the default mode of communication. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is it is for us, but also like roughly half the workforce is will be millennials by 2020 mm-hmm. and in 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 indefinitely as that audience evolves. Mm-hmm. So you've got that piece of it, you've got the cultural aspects that I already mm-hmm. alluded to which mm-hmm. I've observed, I've literally lived myself which is that companies have realized that more transparency um matching their tools to sort of the implicit organizational structure rather mm-hmm. than like hard coding them to the explicit right. organizational and structure hiding away information. Exactly, leads to better outcomes. And so there's sort of like the the macro trends around uh, around what users expect and that they expect to use software at work that they can figure out how to use without taking a training module. Like right. I think that like right. that's a pretty clear bar that yeah, most enterprise software is not because met. Of yeah, exactly. Um, so like two years. So expectations from users are higher. Um, companies believe that there's something to this idea of giving their employees access to the context that they need mm-hmm. to be able to do their best work. Um, you layer on top of that the fact that, you know, the, the number of software tools is just exploding. So this proliferation of enterprise software, um, you know, what it means is that people have the best tools they've ever had, mm-hmm. but they don't all work with each other. And um, they have more access to information than they've ever had before. So mm-hmm. they need ways to to, to control that and right. to, and, and to, and to, you know, figure out how to harness it. And so, so, so that's, I mean, so that's where I think things are going. Um, I think that, uh, you know, people are going to be expecting to use a suite of tools at work that are, that are easy to use, that work with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I think that a number of other companies, you know, I, I would include, you know, I would include Atlassian with what they do mm-hmm. for developer tools, but I would also include, you know, Zoom. We are, mm-hmm. you know, Zoom customers at Slack mm-hmm. and they've built a really great product there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly everything that's being done at this Box and Dropbox and yeah. so forth. Yeah. So, so, I mean, this, this whole suite of tools are run by a bunch of independent companies, but they need a place um, to work together. And, and so I, I think the future is one in which people will have access to the information that they need to do their work in an unprecedented way. They're going to have control over how that work interrupts them and how that um, how that information is presented to them um, that allows them to do their best work and to stay focused and and really do the the work that only humans can do mm-hmm. um, the creative work um, the collaborative and communicative work uh, and they're going to do it across just an ever growing number of tools and mm-hmm. so you know that's what we see and mm-hmm. and that's from why, independent companies yeah and that's what we see um, and when people start working in this way they see results like. Mm-hmm. 
you know, 90% of our paid customers, you know, re- report that like, you know, that communication is easier because mm-hmm. they, because they use Slack, they, they, you know, like two thirds of them, you know, report that it's, that they're more productive. Um, I'd like those numbers to be 110%. Right. Um, but I think that like, we're off to a good start. And so, uh, it is a fundamental change in the way that people are working and it's going to take some time, but, um, but we're going to be driving it. All right. Where are you gonna be working next? Not Microsoft. I don't think no plans. I think I've got I've got plenty of work cut out for me. I have the best job that I've ever had in my career, and mm-hmm. I think I also have the best product job in yeah. in, in the industry. So yeah. um, so I'm I'm good. All right, all right. Well, thank you so much, April. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and it was great talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. You too. Um, if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find more episodes of Recode Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't like the interview. Oh, just slack me. I don't, I'm not going to respond at all. But in any way, or just want to say so hi and tweet at me. I'm at Kara Swisher on Twitter. Uh, now that you're done with this, go check out our latest episode of Recode Media. You can find that show wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.